this week's Over the Farm Gate podcast, we explore how farming can be a pillar of support in rural communities. Join me, Hannah Park and Emily Ashworth, as we speak to two great initiatives about their work to support, fund and strengthen resilience, the Farming Community Network and Run a Thousand. The Farming Community Network, like others, really is at the heart of rural communities and provides support in many ways. But why is it so important to ask for help early on and how can you get involved? Emily, over to you. My name's Alex Fulmer. I'm the Head of Communications and Development at the Farming Community Network. And that title, Head of Communications and Development, is probably a little bit vague. Um, overall, I oversee the, the communication side of the charity. So that's everything from the, the, the brand, the reputation, the marketing, the social media, really the external communications um, and, and the way that we're, we're present in the media and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then on the development side, I um, oversee the training side of FCN. Um, I oversee our involvement in academic research. I oversee our involvement in a lot of campaigns. So the development side is, is kind of a lot of things fall within that. Um, but that is broadly what my role involves. Um, and in terms of how I, I ended up here, a um, little bit random, um, but prior to working for the Farming Community Network, I worked for the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. And okay. while I was doing comms uh, for them, so I was a press officer really with them, um, I did a lot of work with their rural industries group around farm safety. Um, and then this role came up um, at FCN, although at the time it was a, it was a marketing manager position. So my, my role's changed since I joined. Um, but I applied for the marketing manager position um, back in 2020 and got that job and been with FCN since. So are you from, what's your background? Are you from farming? You have no idea, you had no idea about farming previous to this. What's the story there? So I'm not from a farming background. And when I joined FCN, I guess I did have a bit of imposter syndrome there because I did very much feel like I was a fish out of water, uh, thrown in at the deep end. Um, how can you possibly do the communications and marketing for a farming charity when you know so little about farming? Um, but actually, um, interestingly, I now do see I, I increasingly view that as a bit of a strength because I, you know, when I'm at agricultural events and um, shows, I was at Lama just a couple of weeks ago. Um, but um, I do tend to find that there's this big push to get more people into farming who are from yeah. non-backgrounds. And I think that's really important that we do that. I think it's important that ag is seen as an industry where there's lots of opportunities beyond farming. Obviously, farming is incredibly important, but all the other roles in, in agriculture, marketing, sales, you know, the list is endless. Um, and I think making the industry more attractive to people requires more people such as myself who are from non-ag backgrounds to actually um, have a have a routine so that's something I'm very passionate about and I'm learning every day I certainly don't know everything or don't know much at all but I'm, I, I, I welcome the opportunity to continue to improve my knowledge. I think there's two things there though isn't there because number one that's a talking point for people because actually once you start telling people that you're not from this industry then I find that they kind of want to embrace that and 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 you know allow you to learn as well and number two it's really important that um people from outside the industry see themselves represented in the industry so we need people from non-farming backgrounds to make those those connections exactly my, my what I, I believe that's that's the case and um, I'm very passionate about um, bridging the divide between urban and rural so even with the time that I've been within FCN um, it becomes very apparent that um, a lot of people in more urban environments who aren't born into farming backgrounds they don't have much exposure to farming uh, or food production and perhaps their only exposure is going to the supermarket once a week in which case they're getting a very very sort of specific view of 
um, agriculture and, and what it involves and, uh, you know, their, their understanding of what meat is worth and what vegetables is worth, et cetera, is dictated by the supermarket. So um, I think a lot of people don't get the opportunity to go on to farm. And um, so I think it's it's about sort of emb embracing the public and helping to educate the public in a way. Um, and I think once people actually understand where the food comes from and they understand what's involved, I actually believe if everyone was able to spend even just 24 hours on a farm or even 12 hours on a farm, um, a lot of people's views would change and a lot of people's buying habits would probably change as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we say this all the time, exposure is key, isn't it? And that's also key, obviously, for, um, you know, for the charity. Can, can we just talk about the charity as well? What Obviously, we know that, you know, in our sector, there are numerous amazing uh, charitable organisations out there. But what are the origins of the Farming Community Network? Yeah, so we were founded in 1995 uh, as the Farm Crisis Network. And so uh, if you speak to certainly a, a particular generation of farmers, they might still refer to us as the Farm, uh, the farm Crisis Network. Um, we renamed ourselves in 2013 to the Farming Community Network. And I guess one of the reasons why we did that was we really wanted to highlight that people shouldn't be reaching out to charities for support at the point of crisis. Obviously, we're there to help people who have, are in that sort of dire situation. But actually, the sooner you ask for help and the sooner you notice that you need a bit of support or things are starting to go wrong or you're uncertain how to proceed, um, the sooner charities like FCN can help. Um, so that's the origins of the, of the charity. We've been going for 27 years now. Yeah. And I think that word community is so key as well, because, you know, like we've I speak about this all the time, but the farming community, it's so unique. Um, you look at you look at you know the history behind it, and there's there's really not another community in, in society like it, in my opinion. I like spot on. I mean, even with with the time that I've been working in this industry, you know, it's 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 people who are first of all, I mean, I think it's about recognizing that farming isn't so much a profession as it's a way of life. So it is people with a lot of professionalism involved in it. Yeah. Um, I also think people people need to kind of, who, who are kind of from the outside looking in, need to understand actually how challenging farming is, not just in, in relation to the the obvious challenges, such as, you know, the the, the, the difficult weather or the, or the long working hours and the often isolated working, which obviously are, are challenges, but but actually the 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 amount of expertise and knowledge that farmers need to have so farmers are often you know they're also accountants and they're engineers and they're mechanics and they're you know they 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 they're soil specialists and they're they're scientists you know in the, in their own rights there's there's a there's a lot of skill required to do farming and i actually think that um schools perhaps could play a bit of a more of a role in in highlighting that farming is a very skilled occupation yeah 100% um Let's talk about then, you know, how things have changed because we obviously now live in an age of social media, like we're really quite, um, we're, we're more open than we've ever been before. Um, we've also just obviously come through, you know, <laughs> one of the most memorable crisis, uh, crises in, in history going through COVID and the pandemic. So we've all been through a lot, but we're all a lot more open about talking. However, you know, like you say, farming is a lifestyle. You can become so embedded in it that actually you could probably not talk to somebody for a very long time and not even notice it. Has the have things changed in farming? Is it easier for people to talk, do you think? Or do you think there's still quite a stigma about, you know, letting somebody know that actually you're not doing very well? So it's a really interesting question because I think logically you would assume that with with the age of social media, with people having more opportunities to reach out, 
um, with, you know, celebrities talking about mental health and music talking about mental health and all these different mediums trying to normalize that conversation. Um, you would think, okay, so we, we have done that now, right? Work, job's done. Um, I think in reality, there is still uh, challenges in agriculture. Um, I, I, it's, it's always interesting to me when I'm speaking to younger farmers who are perhaps in their 20s, and I say to them, would you guys feel comfortable talking about how you're feeling and opening up? And quite often they say no. Um, and that's that's more yeah. probably the, the young the young lads than it is the young women. Um, but I do still find that there is still some of that stigma there. And so when I when I was at um, a, an agricultural show a couple of weeks ago, I did mention um, in follow on to that, I said, well, why, why, why wouldn't you know what's stopping you from sort of opening up and talking? Because you're a young person, you're, you're being surrounded by these these sorts of conversations um, in your sort of every day now. So what is preventing you? And actually, one of these lads um, said that he would want to talk, but his 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 own father would sort of say to him grow up, stop being so woke, stop being a snowflake and all that kind of stuff. So I still think there's perhaps in some instances, I don't want to generalize, but I think in some instances, there's that generational gap still where even if you've got yeah. the youngsters who are perhaps talking more about mental health, some of the, the older generation perhaps still on, on quite on the same level. Um, and if they're not willing to talk, then you can understand why the children perhaps become a bit more reserved about talking as well. So I do think there has been progress made. Um, I do think on social media, we, we see a lot more kind of mental health ambassadors campaigning. Um, we within FCN do see, you know, we're quite often tagged in sort of posts about mental health awareness and people talking. So that's that's good from that perspective. But I do think there's still work to be done. Yeah, and I think that generational um aspect of it is really interesting because you know you can see you can see how it's all it's all a domino effect isn't it you can see how what era they they've been brought up in and you can see how they're looking at our generation now thinking blooming heck like you know I don't know <laughs> I don't know why they all can't just crack on but you you we've got to somewhere break the break the cycle and also it's a realization isn't it of actually there's there's different pressures now coming from different places and we're all expected to do so much and there's such unique pressures in farming that, that I don't know how we break that cycle but you know I guess just by having these sorts of conversations and and, op and op opening ourselves up to it will, will help but yeah it's a really it's a really tough thing to crack I think breaking that generational those generational habits I think you're right. I think one one thing that we try and do within SCN is that um, we, we kind of know that some people will sort of tune out if they hear the, the words mental health. Um, yeah. it, it, the argument has perhaps been done to death a little bit. Um, yeah. And we all know that mental health, mental ill health doesn't happen in isolation. So generally speaking, people aren't going to be experiencing mental ill health um, out of nowhere. It will be because of stresses in their lives. It could be financial. It could be family. It could be um, animal welfare. It could be all sorts of things causing those pressures. Um, so one thing that we try to do is we try to think beyond mental health and think about general well-being because well-being is is different for all of us and we all have our own um, ways of feeling well within ourselves. Um, we try to focus on the physical side of things as well as the mental health uh, side of things because if you're in good physical health, it obviously impacts your, your mental health positively as well. Um, and we're also trying to change the way that we're communicating a little bit. So um, this year um, at, at Lama Joe, for example, um, we moved away from just having a stand where people can come over and talk to us if they you know, want to know a bit more about our charity. And we were actually doing some really proactive sort of panel discussions um, around um, what makes people proud of agriculture in this country and what makes us world leading. Yeah. And because we did that, we, we're kind of touching upon um, sort of, I suppose, sort of well-being in the sense of we're getting people to think about things 
that are positive and trying to give yeah. them that boost without actually having them, you know, talk, focusing on the doom and gloom and saying, because I, I think it's important that we have the data, but I do think it's of limited um, use in some scenarios to say to people, you know, 52% of farmers are anxious, four, four in five farmers have, have experienced depression and all that kind of stuff. That's useful information, but I don't know if we keep saying that to people, it actually helps them, cheers them up, makes them feel yeah. good. We want to celebrate why agriculture in this country is so special because there's a lot of challenges and it is difficult. But, you know, you only need to speak to a farmer to, to see why they do it. And they do it because they feel like they're contributing to something greater than the, themselves and they feel that the work is rewarding in its own right. And so I think if we can focus more on that positive approach, I'd like to believe that the, the industry's overall well-being will benefit. Do you know what? I absolutely love that because positivity does breed positivity. But there's a, there's obviously a time and place for for everything, isn't there? But yeah, that that positivity is is something that I think we probably need to jump on board a bit more. Because I was reading some of the um the answers that came back from that survey of what makes you proud. Um, and you know, things like being the backbone of Britain and you know being responsible for freeding the nation and heritage as well. Like you know, our our sector is is like one of the most historic professions and communities that that we've got in our country, and that is something to be proud of. Um, and I was also talking to um, a, a farmer called Holly Atkinson the other day, who set up something called Face Your Thoughts, just a little Instagram um, account. But she was saying, you know, that farmers don't feel valued, and that can have a huge effect on you know how you perform in your job, how you are at home, because you know you if you're i don't know a hairdresser or a teacher or something like that you know that feeling of being valued is really key in being able to perform properly i think you're absolutely right and it's it's interesting you've mentioned um that lack of appreciation because we did some research last year with the university of exeter or all the research we published last year uh, with the university of exeter and um, it was around um, isolation, loneliness and mental Ill health and farming, some of the causes of. And um, one of the key findings of that research was that that lack of public appreciation can lead to that increased sense of isolation and the divide that I mentioned earlier between urban and rural. Um, so I do think that there's work to be done there. Um, so, I, so I think um, specifically when, we, when we're talking about um, addressing uh, that issue there is work to be done uh, to a, a lot of it comes around to public education I do think yeah. but I think you're spot on that we need to all feel in our work that we are valued and that we're contributing to something and I think farmers know it and farmers recognize it I just think there's that missing piece of, of the public actually knowing what farmers are doing for that because at the end of the day we all rely on farmers three times a day and the food on our plates every day is sourced from a farmer most likely right so i think we just need to kind of get back into that fight focus on food production local um and domestic farming um because i think it's all too easy nowadays to uh get our farm our, our, our produce from uh potentially other places that don't necessarily benefit our local homegrown farmers yeah this conversation still baffles me every time i have it about how we're, how we're so removed but that's that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast i think isn't it <laughs> Um, let's talk about then some of uh, FCN's key initiatives because I do want to say as well, you know, that um, they don't have to be, you know, earth shattering, do they? You know, picking up the phone and talking to somebody can make a huge difference. Yeah, you, you, you're right there. Um, 
so people reach out to SCM for all sorts of different reasons and they'll do it through different means. So some people will pick up a phone. Often that's the hardest part of it for people. Yeah. Um, and there's reasons why people may not be able to pick up the phone and speak to us. Um, it could be that they find it very, very difficult to, to articulate over the phone. And it could be therefore that they would send an email or it could be there that they would have a conversation with one of our volunteers at a, a farmer's market or a, a, another local um, opportunity or event. Um, so everyone communicates in different ways. Um, but we do tend to find in our work that um, conversations lead uh, what we do, right? So often we're speaking to people who, for one reason or another, uh, feel that they aren't listened to uh, very often in, in, their, in their lives. And it's interesting how you could even be surrounded by lots of people. You could be surrounded by family members, um, but you could feel that your, your voice isn't heard, even if you've got loads of people around you. So often it's that, that talking um, and, and the fact that we within FCM will listen and we will listen to the problems, we'll listen to what's on your mind and we'll try and talk through the issues. Um, in terms of specific initiatives that we're doing that are tied to that, one thing that we're doing this year um, is our Yarn in a Barn project. Um, and in Dorset, we've just had a really good uh, event that's um, hopefully set a good precedent where our, our volunteer network in Dorset has, has um, coordinated an event with a local farm shop. And uh, they had 130 people from the farming community uh, attend that. And that's been really, really well received. I saw some feedback from one of the attendees and they, they had some really nice things to say about it. Um, but those sorts of social opportunities are so important in the in the farming calendar. You know, when we're working with farmers, we know farmers often struggle to get off farm. We know unless you can justify it, it's, you can often feel guilty about doing so. Um, and so I think if we create social in, in sort of interaction opportunities that are just around the corner, um, they're still relevant to farming. So you don't have to feel like you've completely moved out of your comfort zone. But it's just an opportunity to meet others, talk through the problems or issues, whatever it might be. Um, so we're having more of those yarn in the barns across the country, um, England and, and Wales, um, through our volunteer groups. And I do want to take this opportunity to really thank our volunteers, because as a, as a charity and a voluntary organisation, our volunteers are the lifeblood of our charity. And we really do mean that. Um, our volunteers are on the other end of the helpline. Our volunteers are caseworkers who are going on farm and talking to farmers. And it's really through the goodwill of, of the farming community, farmer helping farmer, that allows us to do what we do. Um, so that's one of the initiatives where we're doing those sort of social opportunities and we're very, very keen to do more of those throughout this year. Um, we also have run a campaign over the winter months, which is still ongoing at the moment because it's still blooming cold outside, which is called Wool and Wellness, uh, which yeah. we're doing with British Wool. And uh, if you take a look at our social media pages, you can see um, quite recently we've posted some of the, uh, the Wool and Wellness um, uh, photos of people taking part in that campaign. Um, in a nutshell, it's about getting people to... Um, knit hats uh, woolly hats preferably using british wool um sewing in an fcn helpline logo so it's got our, our contact details into the hat and then gifting it to a fellow farmer um and it's all about obviously keeping your physical self warm over the winter months but also making sure that you've got fcn's contact details to hand or to, to head i guess because you're wearing it on your head and it's about mm -hmm. letting, you know keep reminding us all that we're part of that community and even if you can feel like you're on your own face in the world uh, just reminding you that there is a community of people just on the other end of a phone who are there to, to help you if you need to, to chat to someone. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, like we were saying before about, um, you know, this is a way of life. It's in completely ingrained in you if if you're in, you know, the farming sector. You can't get away from that because, like you said, you wouldn't you wouldn't do this job if you didn't, you know, absolutely live and breathe it because you couldn't. Um, but we've got to be so careful that as well that our way of life isn't lost because, you know, if people... If people 
can't get to the auction mart or the auction mart's closed. You know, that's people that's some farmers only um aspect of communication and socialization that, that that they get. So to to make sure that people feel part of a community is super, super important, in my opinion. I would completely agree with you. And we, we do increasingly focus on, I mean, I, I it's, it sounds a bit sort of marketing-y, but, you know, we are the Farming Community Network. And I think all yeah. three of those words are really, really, um, you know, part of, of, of what we are. So obviously farming, we're here for people in farming and the wider sort of supply chain and, and allied industries. But community, the community side of what we do is incredibly important. And as you say, I think um, some of that community can can be lost. And I think during COVID, I think a lot of farmers were, 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 you know, lacking those social opportunities they would normally have with the agricultural shows and events that would typically be in the calendar. What we have seen on the plus side, though, is since since shows and events have been taking place for the last year again, um, numbers have been very, very high at these events. And we've heard great feedback from the events organizers saying they've been some of the, the, the most sort of um, well-attended versions of these shows that have been run. So I actually think it's really good that there is still that strong demand for the agricultural shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's ever going to be lost, is it? And I think, like you said, during COVID, it kind of just highlighted how actually important it, it really, they, they really are. Um, are you able to share, Alex, like some experiences or, you know, like positive stories from people that you've helped at all? Because I think it's really important to say, you know, like, show the outcome of what can happen if you just kind of take that first step and if, if you need a little bit of help what you know what it can really do for you if you are struggling a little bit yeah we've we've had um everything on our helpline so it's 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 interesting seeing the nature of the cases no two cases that present to fcn's helpline are the same they're often very very multifaceted but just as an example we had um one related to um sheep testicles or, or, or ram testicles uh, sorry the uh the other the other day <laughs> Uh, which you wouldn't think, but, you know, I won't go into any more detail on that. But it's just <laughs> I'm used to it, don't worry. Those <laughs> <laughs> the sort of things that we get on our, um, our, our helpline. But um, in terms of actual sort of specific examples, like, there's one that I, I um, this was very, very moving to me, actually. I was at uh, an agricultural event last year um, in the summertime, and um, I was speaking to a chap who came over to the SCN stand, and um, he said, oh, I just wanted to, to let you guys know that I was in a really, really difficult spot and didn't really know what to do. And I got in touch with FCN. You guys really did help me. And now um, I still have like a regular weekly catch up with one of your volunteers uh, where we'll just talk for sort of 20 minutes. Um, but knowing that I've got that once a week, every week gives me almost like some stability or an anchor um, because it's something that I know is going to happen. It gives me that 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 sense of consistency week on week. And it really, really helps me um, with with just sort of grounding myself, I guess. Um, and, and genuinely, not lying, um, as we were having that conversation, no sooner had he said that, his phone rang and it was the FCM volunteer reaching out yeah. to him for, their, for their, their chat that day. And it happened right then and there. And it was that sort of thing that really showed to me just how uh, above and beyond our volunteer network go. Um, I also think what's quite interesting for trying to, if, if the, the purpose of the question is trying to normalise people sort of speaking to charities, I think a surprising number of people are speaking to us, but you might not know. Um, you know, yeah, we we get, yeah. we get hundreds of calls a month and we help about 6,000 people a year in, in different forms through local caseworking and other, other things that we do. And um, I think actually you you might 
even though, like I mentioned earlier, you might find that you're feel that you're alone in the world and that no one else is going through what you're going through and no one else has got those issues and perhaps no one can help you. Um, there are your, your neighbor might well be being supported by an SEM volunteer or um, I- increasingly we're finding that when we're going to agricultural events, we actually ha- often have like six or seven SEM volunteers there on the day working in the different companies that are actually sort of presenting at the shows or have got stands at the shows. So we've got such a good network of people across the industry that you wouldn't have to go far to find an SEM volunteer. Um, And so uh, the reason I make that point is that we're not some sort of distant arcane um, thing that's that's really separate from agriculture. We're really, really ingrained on the ground um, within the industry. And so hopefully that will help to normalize it. The other thing I would say is you don't have to view speaking to a charity as being some massive monumental thing. It's just um, having a chat with another farmer uh, at the end of the day about about the issues that you're going through. And you'll be speaking to someone who understands those issues, may have dealt with them before themselves and may have some words of wisdom or some knowledge for you or even just there to listen, as we've said. So that we're, we're hoping to sort of dispel some of that, that those myths around speaking to a charity and to just really make it just a chat with another farmer in confidence. Yeah, just two things there, actually, because I've written it down as well that um, I think I'm right in saying that from the research that you conducted, it was so, it worked out, you know, seven out of 10 farmers say that they would ask for help. So actually, you know, when you say you don't actually know who's picked up the phone to, to ask for some help because, you know, it is, it is a private thing and you don't have to, you know, you do it for yourself more than anything. So, you know, you don't know what other people are going through, but hopefully that, that just shows that, you know, that, you know, a, a, a lot of people are reaching out. I was you know, very, that's, a, that's a big percentage really, isn't it? I was very surprised and humbled by that result because when we asked for, for context for anyone on who's going to be listening to this, we, we did a survey in advance of Lama of 500 um, farmers and ag professionals who were attending that show. And um, so we had uh, about 550 responses uh, overall to that, that survey. And uh, one of the questions we asked was, um, would you speak to a charity if you or a farming charity if you felt you were struggling? And I was fully anticipating that it almost seems a bit counterproductive or counterintuitive, but I was fully anticipating we were going to see like one in 10 people would from our perspective as a charity we need to know kind of less less the result of that and more of the result of the follow-on question which was if you wouldn't speak to a charity why wouldn't you and we obviously need to know that as a charity if people aren't willing to speak to us why wouldn't we what are the obstacles and blockers so when we actually got the results of that and we found that over 70 percent of farmers said they would speak to a charity uh, if they were struggling that was really surprising in a good way because it means that 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 stigma around speaking to charity and asking for help is is being chipped away um, but having said that, you know, we did still ask those questions to the other 30%. Um, why wouldn't you speak to a charity? And in terms of the, the the answers there, they were also quite interesting. A lot of it was around embarrassment, so that which yeah. isn't surprising to us, but it was a lot of people, you know, a lot of those those responses were I wouldn't speak to a charity because I don't want to admit that something's gone wrong or I feel like I could work it out myself. Or um a few people say things haven't gotten bad enough. But that one's interesting because I've spoken to people who've literally been evicted from their farms and it seems that their their kind of lives are collapsing around them. And they still say, I didn't think things had gotten bad enough to speak to a charity, which is quite surprising. So as always, we're trying to push that message of the sooner you ask for help, the sooner we can give you that help. So it's always best to do that rather than wait until things have gone really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to touch upon as well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
the majority, if not all, of your volunteers, you know, if you pick up the phone to FCN, you are going to be met with somebody at the other end who is from farming or within the farming community? Yeah, so we have an amazing network of FCN volunteers, but as with as with every everyone, none of our volunteers, no two volunteers are the same, right? But what we have within FCN is a broad expertise and knowledge of agriculture. So we will have... Yeah. Um, volunteers within SCN who've worked arable or they've worked you know poultry or they've worked pig or it could be it could be all sorts of different sort of, sorts of farming that they've done and um, it could be that they've worked in other agricultural roles as well so we've got for example agronomists um, you know vol volunteering with us so or we've got professionals who land agents all sorts of people within SCN uh, volunteer with us so yes if you call our helpline you will spe be speaking to someone who's got agricultural knowledge um, they may well have been a farmer. A lot of our volunteers are current farmers or former farmers, retired farmers. Um, but um, it's broader than that. It, it is people who've worked in all sorts of roles supporting the farming community in different, different positions. And I think that's really valuable as well, because obviously farmers are working with so many other different stakeholders that we we have that, that knowledge and expertise in the charity. Um, and our volunteer network is, is amazing for, for providing that. And I think if what I was going to say just to follow on is that, you know, if you are if you are struggling with something, then it's um, and you're in farming, you want to speak to somebody who you know that kind of understands the turmoil that you're going through, because as we keep mentioning, you know, the pressures can be unique and the job is unique. And uh, to know that somebody is kind of on your wavelength is always going to be a, a road into being able to open up more. Absolutely, completely agree with that. I think, you know, farmers can instantly suss out if someone doesn't know what they're talking about. And um, I think a lot of the, the issues presenting to our helpline are so farmer specific that it's no disrespect to anyone else because there's so many charities doing such amazing work. But if you don't know much about farming, you would probably find it very, very difficult to answer some of these, these inquiries that we get or to really understand the pressures that that person might be under um, beyond a surface level. Um, but I also wanted to highlight, of course, that um, as well as the helpline, which is a really vital part of what we do within FCN, our local caseworking team also do incredible work as well. So they're the ones who will actually come to the farm. Uh, they will sit around the farm table. They'll talk to the farm family units. Uh, they'll talk through the problems that the business might be experiencing. Um, and there's very much that local casework start, uh, sort of part of the charity that's really, really important as well. Um, and as an example of there where we've, we've helped someone, um, we were supporting someone whose husband had dementia and he'd gone into a care home and he was the, uh, the main farmer on the farm. And so she was left on her own on the farm, not really knowing what to prioritise, not really knowing what to do. And a couple of our volunteers went out to her farm, walked around the farm with her, talked to her about all these sort of issues she was having and the things she might want to prioritise or think about. And she found that incredibly valuable. So as much as there being that that helpline, which is super useful, but it's also about the local case working support as well. You know, obviously, if you our, our advice across the board from anybody would be that if you are struggling, obviously, you know, just just try and take that first step into into getting help before it kind of you know snowballs and then you're in a position where you really think that it's got too much for you to be able to handle. Let's just you know make sure that we. We, we don't see anybody reach that point but also I think it's also it's important to highlight if you think you're seeing somebody else struggling look out for signs know the signs um don't be afraid to just say you know are you I can I feel like you're struggling a bit are you all right you don't have to talk to me but if you are struggling there's there's other people out there just to recognize it in other people as well 
Yeah, I think some people don't necessarily respond so well to the idea that they're struggling because that can imply that they've made a mistake or that they're um, underperforming or people can take the negative terminology uh, in, a, in a negative way. It is difficult when people you see people aren't doing so well, um, but th they are the ones that ultimately need to ask for that help in the first place. You know, we can't be reaching out to people who haven't consented to us doing so so it really needs to be that they need to make the first move but it's about letting people know that they're not alone there is support out there there are people whose whose roles are to help them so we're, we we are specifically here for that purpose right so we're not you're not a burden by asking for help you're not inconveniencing us we are a charity set up for the purpose of supporting farmers in the wider farming community so um it's about letting people know that we're here and quite often you you, you know it's just give someone our contact details give someone our helpline card Maybe point out how many people we help each year as well, because, again, if you say, look, these guys help hundreds of farming families a year across the, the whole country. We help thousands of people. Um, there's so many people that have benefited from that support. You can visit our website and see some of the testimonials that sort of attest to that. Um, it's just really about leaving those details with someone and encouraging them within their own time when they're comfortable to reach out to us and see if we can help them. Just out of interest, Alex. So obviously you said you're not from a farming background. What have, you know, have you found this to be a community a lot different to how you thought it would be looking from the outside in? Or, you know, what, what have you kind of learned from being in this environment? So I've learned that um, farming people are like no one else in a good way. I think that there's, there's a passion and a real um, enthusiasm for what they do that you can't really get in other industries. But what I have also felt is that um, or, or found is actually that it's surprisingly welcoming. Um, I do sometimes get people mocking me for not using the right words for things or not knowing things that are quite basic farming language. Uh, so I certainly wouldn't be the right person to be on the end of our helpline, let's say. Um, but actually, it's, 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 it's an industry that is actually quite, quite welcoming to people. Um, the other thing I've learned, actually, is that because, of course, farming isn't isn't one sort of catch all term. So I've spoken to to a, a farmer who's who's um, done sort of poultry since she was a kid and her family have always had poultry. But she was the first to tell me she knows nothing about arable farming. She wouldn't have a clue. Um, and she doesn't know anything about beef uh, or, or dairy or any, you know, these other sectors. So even within farming, a lot of farmers don't know. Well, I don't think any farmer knows everything. I think farmers are constantly having to learn, constantly having to adapt. And so I like to view myself as just being on a, a much steeper learning journey than perhaps a lot of people who've grown up with it and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I find it really fascinating. And I, I think um, even if everyone can just get slightly more uh, adjacent to agriculture and, and food production, I think everyone would benefit from that. Agreed. And um, I'm totally on that learning curve with you, even after eight years. <laughs> Farmer's Guardian. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. We're all learning, like you say. Up next, and I'm joined by one of Runner Thousand's founders, Sheena Horner. Runner Thousand was an initiative set up three years ago to inspire people to get moving in January while experiencing the benefits this could have on their mental well-being. The idea sees participants going head-to-head -head to clock up the miles in January while raising money for several rural charities. Sheena tells me more about the initiative and what's on the cards for 2024. 
So hi, Sheena. Thank you very much for joining me today. Really appreciate your time um, and excited to hear about Run a Thousand, which is now in its third consecutive year, um, which is a great achievement and it's really gained momentum in that time. So for those who maybe don't know or haven't heard, um, could you just give us a bit of an overview of what it is? Um, Run 1000 was basically started, it's an initiative to um, get people out during the month of January to take part in physical activity, which we obviously think helps benefit your mental health. Yeah, and it was yourself and a couple of other farmers, I think, who came up with the idea originally, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was myself and um, Will Evans and I also spoke to Nina Clancy, who was the past um, Chief Exec of RSABI Scottish Charity. Mm-hmm. So what's the idea then? So obviously Run a Thousand, what's the what's the idea and what's the concept? The, the concept was it, was it was to compete against five countries, so Scotland, England, Wales, Ireland and New Zealand, all headed by a captain that's involved in um, the rural community and um, that normally in the last two years it's been that you have to compete against each other for a month. However, due to time constraints and the world is getting busier and busier, um, we decided to run it again this year but only do it for a week so it ran from the 9th to the 15th of January. Uh-huh. And do you have any, so, so it really seems to have gained momentum and there's a lot of chat about it on Twitter and social media and things. Do you know how many people um, have, have got involved this year? Have you any sort of ballpark figures in that? We had um, 143 participants taking part this year, which was really good considering that it was a bit last minute to get everything out there. But yeah, absolutely delighted that we had that many taking part. Yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously run a thousand, but am I right in thinking it's cycle, swim, any any way to get the miles in? Yeah, we called it run a thousand and it was supposed it was initially running and walking, but um, again this year due to time constraints and people's people's uh, moving on and things, we did include cycling and swimming as well. Yeah, yeah. So um seems to have come a long way and it definitely has sort of achieved that objective of getting people up and about and, and moving. Um so in terms of the money raised, um you raise for um, charities in each of their respective countries, is that right? Yeah, for, um, for the Farming Community Network in England, um, Samaritans Ireland, RSABI, who already mentioned for Scotland, DPG Foundation, and Sam is going to give me a slap because I don't know how many have to pronounce this, but the Wakato Haroka Coromandel Rural Support Trust. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I'm sure I've said totally wrong. <laughs> And that's New Zealand, is that right? It is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, how much money have you have you got raised this year then? And how how do people sort of donate? Is it a, a fee on signing up or how does that work? We've always done participate. We would like them to pay twenty pounds um, to take part, and then by doing that, they then get access to the um, close Strava groups where we record everything. However, people that don't want to take part, they're still more than welcome to donate to the charities. Um, there's five Just Given pages, and they're still um, open at the moment, and links to them are on the run1000.org website. And I think currently we're sitting at £4,543 raised today Fantastic. for the five charities. Fantastic, yeah. But absolutely brilliant, yeah, and and um and what a, what a great what a great way to do it as well in terms of uh getting people moving alongside raising the money. Um, 
Yeah, and it's just that it's camaraderie as well. There seems to be, when, when we do it, everybody's talking to one another, cheering each other on. There's the banter between the five countries, and it's just really great to see. And some amazing photographs as well get posted. Yeah, yeah. And the sort of, uh, the reason behind the, the charities chosen, um, just talk to me a bit about that and why why you chose those particular charities in those countries. Uh, it's it's entirely up to the, the captains. They, they decide which which charity to choose. Mm-hmm. But it, it's ones that basically we know that people can turn to in the rural community. There's people there to speak to that will help them when, when they're struggling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just sort of raise, raising that awareness as, as well, isn't it, as, as sort of yeah. ha- having a bit, of, a bit of fun, but also an important, an important charity and, and message to raise. It is. So the um the the competition is a competition. So um who who have we who sort of crowned the winner this year? Um, Emma Emma Sullivan did it again with Team Wales. She won the first year. Um, the baton passed to England last year, but Wales retained the crown. But I mean, they had a fantastic sign up. They had so many on their team, and it was just fantastic to see. And they, even though it's only running for a week, they still hot their thousand miles by the Saturday with one day left to go. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! So they they'd reached the finish line before the end of the before the end of the competition. Yeah. Yeah. And did other teams did did other teams get to the to the milestone? No, none of us, none of us reached it. We were all very close, but no, none of us were there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it obviously the competition elements there, but it's more about the actual camaraderie and and getting involved. That, that's what it is, yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's a bit of fun at the end of the day, and it's great banter trying to compete and get people out to do those extra miles. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's just getting people to get out, take part in physical activity, and and raise the awareness of rural mental health. Exactly, yeah. And are there any individuals in particular who really push the boat out in terms of of getting getting those miles in and and really you know did a lot for their team? Um, well, we had again. We had we had two absolute stars, so they were very close. But um, there was a gentleman in Wales that managed to hit 132 miles, and then we had another gentleman in Team England who wasn't far behind him. I think he did 104, but um, he actually had two hip replacements, which was absolutely phenomenal. That he still managed to get out there and get those miles in. My goodness, yeah, that's impressive. And um, and this is just in the space of a week. Just to stress, like this is people have have done that done that distance in just just under the week yeah which which is absolutely amazing i think mm. i mean i managed i managed 30 odd miles myself so i don't know how on earth they did it <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah fun, yeah fantastic fantastic so yeah i mean you must be proud of how far it's come and hopefully it's it's you know set in stone now for years to come it's in the calendar it's a it's a january thing and i think hopefully it's uh you know it's something we can we can look forward to for years to come yeah, hopefully, as I say, we, we hopefully will try and return it to the months um, in 2024. It just takes an awful lot of time to get involved in, and we're speaking to a few people at the moment to see maybe we can develop an app to make it all easier to record everything and make life easier for the captains and it means an awful lot less spreadsheets for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, there's always that behind the scenes work. I think people are just doing it on Strava now, are they? It, it is, yeah, because into Strava and then, I, and then I have to go into each one and get all the long lists and put everything into a spreadsheet and tally it all up. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, a bit of paperwork on your side to do at the moment. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'll say thank you very much and thank you for your time and that's great.
Thanks very much, Hannah. Thanks very much to Sheena and to Alex for joining us this week. You can read more about the fantastic work that other individuals and organisations are doing to support, fund, as well as strengthen resilience in this week's Farmer's Guardian magazine. Don't forget, you can also subscribe to Over the Farmgate podcast so that you never miss an episode. 